This is Blink-182. Sorry? Your t-shirt. No. Your shirt. What is it? B-I? B-I? I, I had to pull out the... I was going to say pull out the big guns, but I don't have big guns. <laughs> big sugar. Whoa! I got, uh, I got some big sugar CDs here. Yes, you do. Yeah. It used to be my big sugar CDs. Listen, don't be telling people. Don't like that. Steal TV. You used steal the be. CDs. Yeah, that, those, those, those beer bottles behind you used to be mine. Yeah, those are not beer bottles. Those are spirit bottles. But yes. Ah, <laughs> uh, listen. Before we get to uh, our guest, Mark Jordan, um, who I I must say is is like uh, is probably one of the most accomplished guests that that we've had yeah i'm i'm really looking forward to this chat um, yeah yeah just the the his body of work is phenomenal a couple of things number one for those listening on the podcast you must check out right now uh the youtube version of this greg's hair is on point this is a a great uh a great cut you've you've received this is i literally just stepped in the door I'm getting my haircut, and I had this haircut in honor of your fancy new job. Well, th thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Um, people think all I do is is do this podcast, Greg. You know, they think yeah. this podcast sustains the lifestyle that I've grown accustomed to. We make so much money from this podcast; it's <laughs> it's unbelievable. I don't even know why I work anymore. I don't know why <laughs> Kelsto works. Why? Why? Why do we work? Um, no idea, Greg. There's there's a new a new platform out there, if I can call it that. Uh, uh, for for the Canadian, uh, indie musician, Canadian, yes. uh, music professional. Yep. Um, put out by the fine folks at uh, at Indie Week. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if you're on this. It's um, what, do it, do it together. It's called Do It Together Music Community, powered D by DIT. DIT Music Community, powered by the fine folks at I believe the app is called Mighty. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm just you know, tootling around with it. Uh, put up the first post that that I've done on this app. Oh, uh, in this community here. today but it looks very interesting and yeah um you know recommended a number of people that were already members and it seems like a it seems like a, a building community for the indie scene which is kind of cool yeah well, kind of yeah. cool it's very cool yeah absolutely you know and, and i'm still trying to figure out how to properly use it but i, I came across a post that daryl put up that talks about how our show sucks and Cameron's it, like, it, it, ah, you, we just invited them <laughs> in. He talked about, uh, well, the title of his post is called what's going on with ticketing. Yes, I saw that. 
Yeah, which which was really interesting. Talks about uh, I how haven't had a chance to read it, but I yeah. it was it was like one of the first things that showed up in my feed. I said I got to come back and take a look at this. So go ahead, sorry. Yeah. Anyways, talk about ticketing. Uh, that Kiss apparently is going on their last, or maybe they're still. This is still their last tour. Like um, um, like other other bands and and musicians out there. But uh, you know, he said, oh, I, I want to go to this final show at Madison Square Gardens, which apparently is on December the second. Hasn't gone on sale. As of the time of his writing, which was five days ago, but tickets are already selling for at the low end a thousand dollars. At the low end, to start, yeah, to start off a thousand dollars, and going as high again was not available for for purchase. As high as thirteen thousand dollars. And are they going to then leverage dynamic pricing on top of that? Because that oh, I, I don't know. No, but but I mean, think of some of the Maybe. shows lately that have been doing the dynamic pricing. And so there are two types of people that will end up going to concerts under this model, right, Greg? There's the there's the people that there's the rich, and then there's the ultra rich. Yeah. Well, there they will go to stadium concerts. And then there are those, you know, and listen, you and I will probably go to a concert here or there at the big stadiums. If like, for me, Neil Young comes out for you, Red Hot Chili Peppers uh, and, and and other bands, uh, Alex is on fire and, and, you know, all these other. <laughs> we um, are seeing Alexis on fire. You are seeing at, them, yeah. At the Budweiser stage. Oh, nice. Yes. And, um, but then we'll also decide to listen. We're going to go see smaller bands. We're going to go to smaller venues, uh, more intimate venues uh, of bands. Maybe we are just, that are just coming out that are brand new, that sound interesting, um, that aren't massive yet. Um, and, and that's sort of, you know, where we'll decide to go because, um, you know, I was curious about, for example, Bruce Springsteen. But as soon as I, you know, got accepted in, you know, it was like, I don't know, 2000 bucks a, a ticket. Was that because of dynamic pricing or surge Dynam pricing? I, yeah, dynamic pricing. I like to call it surge pricing because it reminds surge, me of yeah. Uber and you don't want me to go there. But go ahead. Listen, let's get to Mark then Jordan. You're gonna, then you're going to then you're going to get me started on the TTC and yeah, and then we'll we'll have to create a new podcast. For and that. the 56 the worst line in the city, the 56. <laughs> and I realize I'm saying that from a position of privilege of living yes. in Riverdale versus yeah. the people in Scarborough and Etobicoke that are having to deal with yes. even worse lines. But Greg in my Tilston, life, it is the worst line in Toronto. Greg Tilston is part of the ultra rich and will, uh, he'll be, he will be reporting from the uh, kiss concert. So <laughs> I was actually looking at tickets. I was like, <laughs> no. mm. that might be a show to see. And that's the pre-show. Yes. Let's get to Mark Jordan. Hi, the following podcast is brought to you by Radical Road Brewery, the best craft beer in the heart of Leslieville. Find them at 1177 Queen Street East. That's Radical Road Brewery. Hi, I'm Mark Jordan. And, uh, Welcome to the music is the show and we're going to be talking about music. 
welcome 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 mark it's it's on it's honestly it's a, we were talking about this before on the pre-show it's a it's an honor and a privilege to have you join us today um i, I do want to start out with one question for you that's mm-hmm. that's not necessarily about yourself and, and we might come back to you know how you were influenced in music but your dad charles was a performer as i understand and he taught vocal lessons uh, or top vocal. Um, and, and I understand one of his students was William Shatner. So the question I have is, can we credit your father with being responsible for William Shatner covering pulps, common people? I've got goosebumps. <laughs> well, thank God my father's dead. Oh, okay. <laughs> thank God. But, you know, uh, that, that is so. And, and Lauren Green. Yes. Yes, yes I, I saw that. I saw that as well. I saw that as well. But I just like as soon as I saw the William Shatner, I thought like oh, he has no. to take credit for the pulp common people cover by <laughs> William Shatner because it's one of the best covers ever done, in my opinion. That's they're both they're you know, they're both especially William Shatner, they're they're really uh funny guys. They really have a good sense of humor, they're smart. Yeah. Yeah. Did you spend a lot of time with uh, your your dad's students, or uh, a little bit? You know, um, uh, for a time, my dad uh, taught at home. Like he 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 was um, uh, in Canada. He was a a, a a kind of a television star for a bit for a couple of years when TV first came in in the early fifties and. Uh, and then uh, after that, you know, he became a, a teacher, and uh, and so the, it was. Then I got to meet a lot of those guys. And he was splitting his time between the U.S. and Canada. I think, if I'm not correct. Well, that was before. You know, my dad was a was a bit of a, a left wing guy. Okay. In a very. Uh, uh, in a time in America when it was not good to be mm. associated with the left. And uh, so he, you know, he, he was successful in New York uh, for a while. And then when it, it, it when his politics kind of, when they found out that about his politics and uh, he and a lot of other singers and writers and blah, 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 stopped getting work. You know, they couldn't get to that. Because in those days you got a sponsor like my father would have, you know, Buckingham cigarettes uh, brings you Charles Jordan, and he would have like a half hour radio show brought to you by Buckingham cigarettes or something like that. Ah, and it got harder and harder to to get sponsors when you uh, it, when they you know you were kind of blacklisted in a way. So that's yeah. why he back to him. Fascinating. So you're, you know, getting into music, was that just following in your dad's footsteps? You, you know, you, you, wore, you didn't want to get into, I know you've done some acting, we'll talk about that for sure, but, uh, you know, your, your influences, Mark, getting into music. Well, I, I understand, you know, when you grow up with it, hmm. it's, you understand it on a very molecular level. So it, I was surrounded by music. I was surrounded by classical music because my dad 
was trained as a classical singer. But also, he he also loved folk songs, which is a, unusual for a classical guy. But he, hmm. so he um, collected all those Alan Lomax uh, records, you know, where Alan Lomax, I guess in the 40s and 30s and 40s, I suppose, and maybe early 50s even, went, went out down south and would, would, uh, would record, uh, you know, sharecroppers songs and stuff in, in hotel rooms on a, on a little portable uh, recorder. And so I would, I was heard all that stuff too. And it was, uh, so it was a vast, uh, you know, the pendulum really swang on, on, on what my father was, was listening to. And I listened to it too. So lucky because I'll tell you, if I didn't hear those folk songs, I probably wouldn't have been able to write the songs for Rod Stewart. You know? Interesting. I'm curious. This question just came to me. Um, I remember my dad singing to me, and now he was he wasn't a musician or anything, but I remember him holding me up and singing "Raindrops on My Shoulder Make Me Happy." Uh, <laughs> I'm wondering, Mark, was there, you know, because your dad was a you know, classical folk. What's your your earliest memory of, of, of a song that maybe your dad, whether he sung to you or, or you know, whether you heard him sing? Um, gosh, I'm trying to think of the earliest thing I heard him sing. He used to sing uh, with all the... I'm getting a lot of uh, messages here. When all the the, the when when all the clouds are in the meadow and all the uh, skies are standing by, uh, da da da, and I'll go roving uh, da, 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 on the hill. You know, mm. they're Irish folk songs. I remember singing that to me. That's very interesting. Wow. What was the first instrument uh, you picked up and played? Piano. Piano? Because um, I, uh, my brothers took piano lessons, my older brothers, and, uh, and it used to make them very angry because I would hear them practicing. <laughs> And I'd be practicing, and I could hear it for two minutes, and they'd go away and play it. Without wow. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it used to drive my brothers crazy. But, it, you know, that's part of what they didn't know, and I didn't know, but I, I have a learning disability. So that's all part of that. I have a very good ear because I have to, because I can't really read music that well because it floats around anything with a ball and a stick like a d a b or a quarter note or a half note oh i can't keep it still on the page so what that's so that's that's that uh, if i go from there it's it's interesting because um I, i'm classically trained i worked my way up to grade eight conservatory um, was supposed to go to university, but decided to tell my parents who are both teachers that i wasn't going to become a teacher like them and i was going to go hit the road um, but it's interesting cause you know, I had to work at it. So I, I don't, I'm not 
like my son can just go, dad, I'm going to need, he's in his twenties now, but when he was a teenager, he'd go, I think I'm going to learn to play the drums. And like a year later, six months later, he's banging yeah. out rage against the machine. Like nobody's business. He's like, yeah, I think I'm going to pick up the bass. I'm like, and he starts rocking the bass, red hot chili peppers kind of thing. Um, so I'm not natural. So I, it really took me a lot to get to where I got to within my piano. Um, uh, like within, within my, my, my playing of, yeah. you know but but what's what's interesting is and i've only learned this of late is there's a i have a an ld um that's almost like a family ld like my son has it my dad when i told my dad who plays banjo he's like yeah i'm pretty sure i have that too and so it's you know it, it, it it's more around the words it's like i can read an entire page or page and a half of something and then I, I have no idea what i've read i've read it but i have no idea what i read so sorry just when you were talking about that it just sort of reminded me of that and sort of makes me think of how i am when i'm reading so anyway sorry yeah, I just I in on that must have affected you in, in school i think i read two and a half books all the way through grade 13 i like i in particularly in high school i i just faked my way through it I graduated. I graduated enough to go to university, but yeah, I absolutely faked my way through it. Um, yeah, sorry. Well, I, 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 uh, uh, <laughs> you know, people didn't know what dyslexia was when I was in school, and I, I, my dad sent me to the conservatory to take piano lessons, and I fooled the teacher for uh, almost two years. He thought I could play. He thought I could read. My trick was that I would get him to play the song I was going to learn for next week. As the last thing in the sh in the uh, I was going to say the last thing in the show, the last thing in the lesson. Yeah. And uh, I would beat it home, and I remember. I learned to remember them. Wow. And, wow. Uh, you know enough to pick it out slowly. I could, so I, 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 I inadvertently was training my ear. You know, that's that's <laughs> fascinating. So when it comes to, so when it comes to writing music, you know, and, and I've heard I think Dave Grohl says he doesn't read music or, or knows how to write like the notes and stuff. So I'm just curious when when you write songs. What's your process like? Well, I, I have, um, you know, I have a little studio at home. And I'm, so, you know, I usually work with somebody, but say I'm not. And I, you know, I'll go. And I'll take that. You know, yeah, and then I'll find some melodic line that and then I'll put words to that, and you know, words and melody, they're both language, right? Melody the language. It's it, it predates you know language language. 
but it, it is language and you have to you have to hear what you have to hear what the what the melody in the music is saying and then you have a contrapuntal maybe melody on top of that that goes with it and creates a meaning that you have to listen to it. You've got to listen to it and you got to find out what it's saying. And when you know what it's saying, you just write it down. So, so when you, this is fascinating to me, Mark, when, so when you're writing, you, you create a melody first, are there words well, you've written down before? No, no. I, I used to have a notebook when I was young, but that's only because Bob Dylan had a notebook. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I, no, my process, and every, you know, I, I, that's, this is my process that everybody has their own trip. But, you know, once so, so I usually work with somebody. I used to write everything myself but i like to work with people now because it's too lonely if, if you're by yourself all the time so once you get that chord melody then you so what is that then you got to find something that works over that but it's not the same you don't want to sing you want to sing you know something that is a little bit angular against it but is you know works with it and and creates between the two there's something creative. There's something created, and I, and that's the mystery. Huh. If it if there's nothing created in that tension, that rubbing of the two melodic things, rivers, you ain't got nothing. But once there's something created between the synergy between the two, and they start meaning something together then you just have to listen and and write it down that's wow. that's uh it's 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 i don't know if you're familiar with rick beato on youtube and like he breaks oh. down songs oh. he does he does like the top guitar riffs the top oh, oh yeah that, I, I yes i guess i've seen it yes and 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 he he i just watched i said over cream last week he did seals kiss from a rose and broke that down and the the the, the amount of things that were working not against each other but against each other and together within that song is just it's it's i got goosebumps again it's just like to me it's just a perfect perfect song because of what you just described so you need the friction you just yeah. you know you need the tension you need the friction and you need the release and you need the you know yep. the sweetness as well do you write differently for yourself 
versus other people? Is your process the same regardless? I don't write for other people. Okay, just hold on. Pretend. Okay, I see what you're saying. I'm writing for myself. Okay. You know, my my publishers were very smart in California. When when I started working for Warner Publishing, there were two types of writers, guys like me and guys like, you know, Whitney Houston was looking for something. Bingo. There were guys that could write that. Okay. And I wasn't one of those guys, and they knew that. So every song I write is for me, ostensibly. And it goes into the big pile, you know. And then, it, you know, and I write, I write about things that are, you know, fairly universal, I think. I mean, so people write about and then I write about no I, I then I write about uh, specific things too but not many of those have been covered but but the more universal stuff is where I what usually is uh, gotten covered for me interesting so so is is so to that and I mean I want to I want to get into the number of people you've worked with and that um is it you use the word cover, which is interesting. Um, are are the music? How am I wording this? Um, are the musicians taking your work and reproducing it as you've written, not necessarily for them, for for you, or are they generally doing their own version? of what you've written. Does that make sense in that question? Yeah. Um, they've usually kept it pretty almost exact, like my demos of it, or maybe a, they've taken it from a recording of mine. But they usually do it, uh, they don't mess with it too much. Hmm. I mean, they get bigger, like, like Rhythm of My Heart, uh, you know, I had a bagpipe player on it. I, you know, John and I, and uh, uh, we, it was basically what you heard. It was just much bigger when Rob did it. Okay. Because he didn't have, have one bagpipe player. He had about 10, I think. And, and it was <laughs> a big choir. And it's it like just, an orchestra. Yeah. 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 So how, you know, let's let's go inside for some of our listeners here to 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 understand how that process works, Mark. Um, you know, before Rod even records that song, you know, does he reach out to like a team of publishers and say, "I'm looking for this type of a song"? You know, how 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 does that start? Because obviously, well, you, you just write the song because you, you know you came up with it, you were inspired. How does well, what happens is you 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 write it and for your publisher and okay and then there were guys that were song pluggers and they, you know Warner had uh, maybe about six people on staff that would listen to the songs and think you know that's good for you know Donna Ross could cut that or or Rod could cut that or um, but I'll tell you about the Rod thing in a, in a, yeah. in a minute. Slightly different, but but you know they they sort of narrow the songs down, and then they had they take meetings with uh, with the A and R staff, 
at the record companies. You know, so Don and Ross's uh, A and R people uh, and and my publisher might might have a meeting and she would play them uh, a couple of things and one of them would be mine and maybe you know four other people and that she but but all things that she she was thinking that that diana could do mm -hmm. you know they would choose but the rod thing was different because um it uh it didn't when i wrote that song um it uh it sort of languished for a few years but it was sent all over the world to the Warner Brothers, to the Warner Chapel, I mean, to the Warner Chapel offices, you know, in London and Germany and wherever. And um, Rob, a guy named Rob Dickens, who was the president of, of the Warner Publishing in, in London, heard it and he really liked it. And he thought, it would be a great song for Rod, but not right now because Rod was doing oh. his dance stuff. And he, so he put that cassette, he had a, he had a shelf of cassettes that was songs that he liked. And um, it was about, I think it was six or seven years later. Wow. And he 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 remembered that song. He was he was now the president of Warner Records, and Rod was looking for a song, looking for a single, and he had, you know, he was making a more serious records. He wasn't making dance records anymore. He wanted to make more musical records, and, mm -hmm. and Rod and uh, and they phoned me. Uh, you know, they, <laughs> my wife said, "Don't answer the phone." Okay. <laughs> we were having dinner. I swear to God, we were having dinner. We were having dinner at our house in Hollywood. And, uh, the phone rang, and I said, "Well, I'll just answer." I did. Hey, yeah, this is Rob Stewart. You know, and I oh, thought, he called you. Okay. Yeah, he and he and uh, yeah, and the A&R guy, Rob Dickens. Both of them were on the phone, and I thought they were kidding, of course. I recognize the voice after a while. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Uh, so, so from that song with Rod Stewart, what I'd love to hear is the story. So, uh, 1980, whatever it was, I remember. You know, we had what a movie time, whatever the the first pay per view network that was available remember on like the, the converters we had to press the buttons kind of thing and it was wired to your tv and everything else and i remember sitting there as you know to whatever i was 12 13 years old or whatever it was at the time and um watching a movie an animated movie that my parents were probably in the kitchen you know getting dinner ready and they're like what are you doing what are you watching that and it was heavy metal so i'd love to know the story oh. about writing Radar Rider, Radar Rider, right? With rigs, or four rigs. I don't know if that was for or with, but I'd, I'd love to hear how you got involved with the heavy metal project or how that song got involved with the heavy metal. <laughs> well, it's funny. Um, there was a guy, there was a, the, the A&R 
our guy at Warner Brothers Records who signed me was named Marty Cohen. And Marty, Marty Cohen discovered the Doobie Brothers and his brother, uh, uh, what was his brother's name? Um, it was Marty and Bruce Cohen. And Bruce managed uh, the Doobies. And so Marty got a job at Warner Brothers Records and uh, and uh, he, uh, we sent him, uh, we sent some tapes around um, to, to try to get a deal in America. And he heard them and uh, he flew to Toronto and, and decided to, to assign me. And um, so we became pals. And, and before I was signed, when I came down just to check the scene out, he and I, we, we I forget where we ended up in a studio somewhere. But you know, I didn't know anything about Hollywood then. I I didn't know where the hell I was. I was in a studio somewhere, <laughs> and uh, it, and you know, and Riggs, I guess, who was it? That was there? No, the band was there from from heavy metal, and and they uh they were looking for a song. And they had a uh, you know few riffs and stuff, and I said, well, I, you know, and Marty, no, I think Marty said, you know, oh, you, this guy can write it, and I go, <laughs> and uh, so they ended up, yeah, you know, I went back to Toronto, and they ended up sending me a uh, a track, and uh, I I wrote uh, I wrote it, and it was that was my first, I guess that was my first American cover, really. Wow, that's awesome. Listen, we, we have to talk about Marina Del Rey. Okay. Um, and I mean, just a classic song, no matter what, I, I think it's one of those songs that no matter what genre of music you're the biggest fan of, it, it seems everybody our age, they know that song. They've, they've heard of that song. Um, I think you've even said it, it you know, reminds you of summer. Um, yeah. you know, there's few songs that are able to do that. Um, it, I mean, and there's so many stories coming out of that song, you know, whether it is Toto, Steely Dan, uh, Telly Savalas, um, like everyone seems to have been influenced or touched that, you know, that, that song has so many stories, but, um, I'm wondering if you can, if you can tell, tell us, you know, the story of, you know, the inspiration for, for that song. Well, to tell you the truth, I didn't know much about Marina Del Rey, but literally, when they picked me up at the airport uh, on my second trip down to L.A., uh, I, they were putting me up at a hotel in Universal City, and, and on the way, there was this sign that was a, a sign that said next exit. It was on the uh, San Diego freeway on the next exit, Marina Del Rey. So I thought, man, what a beautiful. And I, so I was talking to, uh, it was Marty again was in the car with me. And he was saying, oh, it's a, it's a bit of a whack, wacky place. It's, it's people just smoking dope and, not doing much there, you know, and uh, sounded uh, perfectly. 
where do I sign? Where, how do I get an apartment there? So any, anyway, it seemed like, so that just kind of sparked a, a, something, you know, an idea. And, and um, I literally went to the hotel and, uh, you know, I went swimming and I came back and, uh, and uh, I thought of that sign. I wrote that song. It's the fastest song I've ever written. It just came, it just came up because Marina Del Rey. How, how can you go wrong? You know, it's such Sounds, a musical, yeah, musical word name. You know, so it, it kind of wrote itself that song. Now, what was it about Tully? Was, was it his head? Was it his? Apparently, he was wearing uh, speedos. <laughs> Well, yes, he was. <laughs> I, I mean, I listen. I, I I tell stories about it. I mean, I, I it, it was certainly crazier. It wasn't as crazy as I make it out to be. But but literally, you know, I'd seen that hotel. I mean, I'd seen that. Yeah, it was. You know, it was where Johnny Carson kept his his uh, get, used to keep his guests when they were on the Carson show. So I knew it had the pool, this beautiful pool. It was winter time in Canada. I looked out my window and there it was. And I buzzed down and literally, literally, as I was just about to get in, the first person coming out of the pool was Telly. Hmm. You know, and he looked like this giant manatee, you know, he was like this <laughs> big guy, you know. <laughs> just bigger than life. Had the little speedo on and the rest is history. <laughs> and you're backing like the band that you recorded that song with. Were they? They weren't already Toto, were they? That was still too early. Too early, yeah. They became Toto. But they became Toto because of you, because of this song. No, I mean we could see it. You know, we could write history, rewrite history. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't because of this song. They did that, you know, they did my whole record. Basically, it was basically mostly the Toto guys. It was Paige and, and uh, Picaro and uh, yeah, Picaro's brother on bass most of the time, but not always. And um, let me see, uh, you know, it was, it was mostly the guys who became Toto. But they were decision guys, you know. They were they were the dudes. They they they, they yeah. play on everybody's record, not just mine. That's true. That's true. Um, listen, be before I I, I want to get to waiting for the sun to rise coming out in April, your your newest album. But I need to ask this: you uh, and and Amy Amy Sky uh, have been making music for for decades, but you finally. Uh, put out an album together. You finally worked on the same album together. Yeah. Uh, first question is, why did it take so long? Second question. Um, Are you married? It, <laughs> yes. Yes, I'm married. You answered the question. <laughs> but she's like, she's your, your sound woman, you know, she's your tech, tech support. Oh, she's amazing. Yeah. She's, but, uh, you know, we're... We're different. Our music is different. I, I tend, I'm more 
improv man and she's okay. a lot stricter she's more pop than i am and um uh so it took a while to find the material that would work for both of us but what you know how we did it was uh uh our, our daughter moved down and and our son now lives there in, in nashville Okay. And, uh, so we drive down, you know, and on those drives, we'd sing. We'd we put on our favorite CDs, or we'd listen to stuff, uh, you know, off the internet, and and, and just sing together. Hmm. And uh, over the years, we found some songs that really that we both loved, and that we both sounded good on. So those are the songs that got that got put on the record. Interesting. I'm curious about these car these car rides, Mark. When your kids were little and you used to take long car rides, and maybe you and Amy were singing, were you annoying the kids? Were they excited? Were they like, <laughs> "These are the best singers ever"? Or was it, "Mom, Dad, put on some new stuff"? Like, I'm curious about. <laughs> well, no, it, it was. Uh, you know, by the time they were older is when we, when we, you know, when we drive down just the two of us to see them. Yeah. And I, you know, I, listen, I, I, I drove both my kids around in the middle of the night trying to put them to sleep. You know, I'd sing to them, drive them in the car because sometimes it's the only way to get them to sleep, you know. Wow. Yeah. Your, your son, um, Ezra, is is on your latest album yeah. waiting for the sun to rise um tell us about uh and i don't know whether this is the first time that that he's it seems he's on a, a bunch of oh, no, he sung on, a, on another one too yeah he's brilliant yeah you know he he's got the best of both amy and i and and uh got a beautiful voice and he's a, a incredible piano player an incredible writer you know what can i say and as is my daughter zoe they're amazing it's the business has changed yeah they were doing what they did now back when i started it would have been a lot easier then but you know they're doing what they they love nice how is it working with uh with your kids in what way like performing recording well they they both do it uh uh ezra's at funnily enough zoe was went to nashville she did there and then she moved to la and ezra who's younger then moved down to nashville and they both you know are co-writing with people uh, zoe's making records ezra's about to make a record Nice. And um, they're 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 starting to, you know, get some traction. That's awesome. What what's 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 the? And I'm asking this because my son wanted to potentially get into cooking at one point, yep. and I'm like, oh, buddy, 
not, not sure, not sure you, not sure you wanted to go to go there, and he decided to travel down the path of logistics and supply chain, which was <laughs> which was interesting. Um, what's what would be the what has been the sort of the, the 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 biggest piece of advice you've given your kids, recognizing that you just said the industry is very different today than it was when you came. Well, through? number one is it. It's very different, but it's the only industry they know. Okay. So they know how to navigate much better than I do in it. Um, that said, uh, there's the, 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 the royalty stream has changed dramatically. Yes. So, um, they, uh, so it's harder to, to make ends meet, but they, they seem to be able to do it, but it's it, it it is it's just harder. That's all, and and um, you know I can't even you know as a father you want to be able to advise, but I can't. Huh? I can't. Tell. The only thing I can say to them is, but they know this already. Write what's real. You know, if you're not writing what's real to you. It's not going to be real to anybody else. And also hmm. the the idea of chasing trends uh, is um, it's the same. When I was making records years ago, at, at, you know, cover records, and if you're chasing a trend by the time you caught the bugger and put it down, it's it, there's another thing coming. Hmm. And uh, it's even faster today. So you can't do that. You have to be, you have to be an artist. You have to be honest, and you have to write what's real. And and if you write what's real to you, it'll be real to other people. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah. What, how do you feel about? You know, we 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 hear, you know, Billie Eilish and her brother writing the album in their parents in the bedroom at their parents house yeah. um how do you feel about the ability for young musicians to be able to create so you know not quickly but have the tools at their fingertips that you know i didn't have and you wouldn't have had when we were well they're helpful i mean you mean uh, you did the digital recording gear and yeah being able to put things down quickly and and uh and you have a palette you're not just limited to a guitar and uh and a piano and yeah. you have a million sounds which uh you know so it's like almost putting a film score together in a way behind your what you're doing and and um that's a whole art in itself i mean uh there are there are sounds that uh, that exist today that never existed in my day, but they mean something, you know, to kids mm -hmm. today. And and that you have to, but you but you have to you have to come at it from that point where what you're doing is honest and meaningful and means something to you and if, and if it means something to you it means we're all yeah fair enough thank you that's really interesting um 
lost venues. Let's talk about a, a lost venue, Mark. Uh, you know, venues come and go, it seems, with, especially in Toronto, with uh, skyrocketing real estate prices. And this might be the same, you know, all over the world. That some of these venues disappear. They, they shut down, they close. Uh, wondering, Mark, if you have any stories from uh, from a lost venue in your in your past. Well, uh, yeah, I there was a a place at the I can't remember where it it was like the end of the Trans Canada Highway in Ontario. It was like campus gazing, I think. It was a place called the Westward Ho. Westward Ho, okay. Yeah. We were booked in the Westward Ho. And of course, we were all wondering who this Westward Ho was. <laughs> but, uh, but I guess it wasn't about that. And anyway, so we played, we, I was in a cover band at this point in my life, which was really good. Right. It really taught me how to play stuff. And um, so we were at the Westward Ho, and after uh, after that, uh, after we finished playing, there was always somebody with some dope, you know. Sure. <laughs> Those days, I guess it still is today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, guy says, "Dude, you want to get high?" And I said, "No." Absolutely, in those days. And I didn't even know what I was taking. I just popped it. And this this westward hole was in the middle of nowhere. It was on the highway. It was right across from a farm. And I ended up um, across the street. I climbed the fence on the outside of the highway, and I walked into this field. And the moon came out, and I realized I was being surrounded by Black Angus uh, cattle. And uh, I was really stoned. <laughs> and I thought, this is good. <laughs> so I sat down to commune with the cattle, and uh, the moon came out, and God said, Mark, you've got to quit this band and go back to Toronto and write songs. And I said, I was so impressed that he knew my name. <laughs> This guy's onto something. I'm going to do it. And I, I got up. And cows kind of wandered off. I went back and I quit the band. And then uh, we left on the Saturday night, tried to drive back to Toronto. And, and that club closed two weeks later. I don't know why. Maybe God's work again. I don't know. But uh, anyway, I, that's that's when I decided yeah, I'm going to write songs, and I I went back to Toronto and I starved and I 
but I wrote wrote songs. Didn't play any more cover songs. Wow. That's the wow. best story. Wow. I think that's our best lost venue. <laughs> hands down. No disrespect to anybody who shared stories previously. But I'm in tears. I'm absolutely in tears. <laughs> oh, that is awesome, Mark. Thank you so much. Um, let's get to a song. Let's play a song, Mark. What would you like? You've got a piano there. Um, whatever comes to you. You, you tell us. This is a song of mine that I wrote with John Kapek. And uh, it was recorded by Rod Stewart, among others. It's called Rhythm of My Heart. Everywhere I roam, cause they know my place. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. wow. Mark, thanks for that. That was that was awesome. That was that was that was fantastic. Yeah. One of my dad's folk songs. Yeah. Actually, I I have I have two questions for you before we finish off. And speaking of, I don't know, folks right away, but I, I'd love to know about how. I don't know if it's a super group. It's certainly Canadian royalty, but how Lunch at Allen's <laughs> came together. Well, uh, uh, Murray was asked to do a songwriter circle at something. Uh, I think it was for the uh, either the SoCan Awards or maybe it was the Junos. Okay. They asked him to do a songwriter circle. And he goes, you know, Murray... He's a cantankerous guy, and he goes, nah, I don't like Connor. So he, so he thought about it for a while. He says, I, I can do it if I, if I, if I can uh, get the people I want to do it. And we do it as a band. We don't do it as one person sings and the rest are just sitting there yawning and picking their nose on stage. So, yeah, so they said, okay, do, do whatever the hell you want. So he asked me and uh, and Ian, and um, and then we. So we, I think we went over to his house or something. I can't remember. We we sang a little bit together, and and um, it was obvious we needed another voice. And 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 Murray thought of Cindy, who I didn't really know at all. But as soon as she, her voice. Was in the blend was it made it a hundred times better? It was amazing, actually. It was the mamas and the papas used to talk about that that sometimes there are combinations of voices that work. If you take Cindy out of the mix, it, it doesn't work. Fantastic, thank you. Thanks for sharing that. I really appreciate it. Um, question I'd like to ask before we finish off with each of our guests is. What are you listening today that people should be checking out? Is there anything specific that you're jazzed about lately? Well, I never. You know, I, I listen to such a wide variety of music. I I, I listen to uh, I listen to the classic stuff. I listen to. I listen to gospel music. I'd listen to, I'll tell you a story. 
Mm, My mother bought me a radio when I was like about 11. And those days they didn't play black music in Toronto or Canada. There weren't any black people in Canada, really, except maybe a few in the Maritimes. And so this radio, I, I had an antenna and I attached it to the drain pipe huh. of the house. And I'm telling you, man, I could get fucking Jupiter and Mars on that radio. And uh, if there was a storm south of the Great Lakes, I could get the Gospel Hour in Louisiana. Wow. And that was the first time I heard that shit. And that changed my life. That changed my life. And uh, I, so that, I always go back to that. You know, I always go back to, I, I'll listen to a record of Chain Gang songs. Huh. You know, and then I'll listen to Miles Davis. I, anything that's real, hmm. I like. And and if it has roots in Africa, I'm all over it because I think that's, that's the gift. Yeah. And um, listen, that's where I first heard. Uh, what am I thinking of now? Oh, oh now, now, I'm for, now I'm being forgetful. Um, Darling, you send me that. Mm -hmm. you know, ah, who sings that one, Craig? Whoa, whoa, you send me honest to do. You know who that is. Anyway, yeah. well, no, thank you, thank you for thank you for sharing that story. And again, it didn't need to, it, it. When I ask that question, it's not always about necessarily what's new. It's just more what you know. What's what again? What gets you jazz? So thank you, thank yeah. you for sharing that story. Yeah, I like going back. I like going back and listening to stuff that where I like going back into the soil. Well, that's a good way of putting it. That is awesome, Mark. This has been. So fantastic. Uh, thank you so much. My pleasure. You guys are great. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I appreciate it. Mark, I, I need to ask you a, a couple of questions. Well, I don't know if this will be part of the show, but very, very quickly. Do you find yourself coming to Toronto often anymore? Toronto? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I basically, that's where I live. Okay. All right. I thought you guys had moved down south now. No, we have a place down south. And I spend time, in, a little bit of time in L.A. every year, a little bit of time in Nashville, yeah. a little bit of time down here. But Toronto's our, our home, really. Yeah, just your stories are so fantastic, and we'd love to share your stories, um, you know, with, with, with a crowd if possible. Greg and I used to record live before the pandemic sort of changed everything. Why? And we, we haven't gotten back into this uh studio slash bar that we oh really where did yeah. you do it in leslieville oh yeah, yeah right down right down right basically right at the bottom of jones and queen Beautiful. Um, at radical road brewery it was a great little venue and 
often, you know, musicians would come in, we'd do the interview and they'd even just jump on and play a, an acoustic set and, or whatever, whatever a set. And, yeah. and, uh, you know, it's a small venue holds probably 40 people, but it's just a really intimate, great place. So yeah, again, whether to play or not, but we'd love to have you back on to talk yeah. about more stories because oh, I've got a whole bunch of questions I know that I didn't get to. <laughs> and I'm sure Kareem has the same. Yeah. Yeah. Mark, this has been a pleasure. Yes. It's the last our honor, sir. Thank you. Uh, my pleasure.